Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. I'm Caleb Farley, and this is the ninth episode of the Lawrence County Public Library Genealogy Podcast. In today's episode, we are focusing on Louisa's very own Chief Justice of the United States, Fred M. Vinson. Uh, His birthday is actually coming up here in a few days. Uh, Fred would have been 132 on January 22nd, uh, 2022. I've got a lot to cover in this episode. I found two articles out of the Lawrence County History book about Fred. I managed to find his obituary from the Big Sandy News. I've also got an audio recording from the uh, Robert H. Jackson Center of Fred's law clerk. Uh, He talks about Fred's love of baseball. I also found the entry in the National Historic Register for the Fred and Vincent home place. And the last thing that I have is from when President Eisenhower was sworn in as president in 1953. Fred was the chief justice that uh, swore him in. And you actually get to hear Fred speak in this. So, let's get started. One of the first articles in the Lawrence County History book is Article T14, Fred M. Vinson. The article is as follows. James Vinson, great-grandfather of the late Chief Justice Frederick Moore Vinson, came through Pound Gap, Virginia from North Carolina and settled on the Tug Fork of the Big Sandy River in 1800. On his way, he joined a party which included the Benjamin Sperry family who had traveled from the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. James Vinson, age 17, married Rhoda Sperry, age 14, the daughter of Benjamin on their way through Prestonsburg, Kentucky, which was then Cabell County, Virginia. From this marriage, the House of Vinson was established in the Big Sandy Valley. James Vinson bought 800 acres of land from the Indians of Tug River and paid them one black mare, two bear dogs, two rifle guns, and had their friendship as long as they lived, according to a letter written by his grandson. James, a grandson of this early settler and who was also the son of Lazarus, Uncle Lace, Vinson, ventured into Ferguson County and married Virginia Ferguson of Wayne County, West Virginia, in 1876. There was an all-day celebration at Virginia's home that was only exceeded by the chivalry, a party, that took place in the evening. Sweets and hard liquor were served to the guests who went on their way in the wee hours of the morning. In 1881, James Vinson visited Louisa to help celebrate the arrival of the first train that the Chateroy Railroad Company ran from Ashland to Louisa. In 1885, he was elected to the first of four terms as a jailer of Lawrence County. The new jail was completed in July of 1889. 100 years ago, this January 22, 1990, Fred M. Vinson, James and Virginia's second son, was born in the jailer's quarters which was attached to the jail. His birthplace was entered on the National Register of Historic Places on September 4, 1974, and is presently being used as a meeting place by the American Legion Post. The early boyhood playground for Fred was the Lawrence County Public Square. Young Fred romped in and out of the courtroom and listened to the arguments of the lawyers. Occasionally, the judge would invite the small boy to sit beside his honor while a case was being tried. It is little wonder that when adults asked him what he was going to be when he grew up, that his answer was, be a lawyer. Fred received his early education in Louisa and Catlisburg Public Schools, where he excelled in both scholarship and sports. He was a prodigious leader and read all the books that he could get his hands on. 
Fred attended Kentucky Normal College, Louisa, Kentucky, for two years and graduated on May 5, 1908. He made one of the major speeches at the commencement exercises, which was titled, Transportation by Water, Land, and Air. President Walter M. Byington of Kentucky Normal College wrote President W.A. Ganfield of Center College, Danville, Kentucky, that a bright young man, Fred M. Vinson, was entering Center and recommended he be placed in the senior class. When Fred arrived at Center, he was informed that the college had never accepted anyone as a senior, therefore he would have to enter a lower class. Fred informed President Byington of the ruling and he again interceded. Then, Ganfield agreed to place Fred in the senior class on a trial basis. Fred graduated that school year, June 9, 1909, with highest grades that had ever been achieved at Center College. He graduated at the top of his class and won the Ormond Beatty Alumni Prize. Fred studied two years, 1909 to 1911, at Center Law School. His work in the law school was no less distinguished than the records he established in the Liberal Arts College. During this two-year course, he led his class by maintaining a 98% average. Having virtually grown up inside a courtroom, he was probably more familiar with trial procedures than most of his law professors, certainly more than his fellow students. Legal research problems and civil matters were tackled with enthusiasm and invariable accomplished in an outstanding manner. His work in the law library, in addition to helping pay his educational expenses, was a genuine labor of love. It came to no surprise to anyone that Fred won the Bob's Merrill Prize during his senior year at the law school. This prize was annually awarded to the member of the senior class who prepared the best brief on a case as determined by the faculty of the Center College of Law. His academic record in the law school was never equaled or surpassed. His furious pace of extracurricular activities had no discernible effect on his academic excellence. In addition to his part-time work in the law library and captain of the college baseball team, he edited the Law School Journal during both of his years there. At the age of 21, in 1911, he began to practice law in Louisa and in 1913-14 through 14, was Louisa's city attorney. Fred played semi-professional baseball in Kentucky, West Virginia Coalfields, and was a member of the Lexington team in the Bluegrass League. In August 1918, he entered the U.S. Army as a private for service in World War I and was attending officer's training school at Camp Pike, Arkansas when the armistice was declared. Fred was elected Commonwealth Attorney for the 32nd District of Kentucky in 1921, where he served until January 12, 1924. Then he became a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from the Old 9th District, where he served until 1938, with the exception of 1929 to 1930, when he was defeated in a Republic landslide victory of 1928. Throughout his congressional career, he was a student of federal taxation and as a member of the Ways and Means Committee from December 1931 until the close of his service in the House, he won distinction as an authority on tax and fiscal matters. His special assignments included membership on a Committee on Tax Evasion and Avoidance and the Chairmanship of the Ways and Means Subcommittee on Internal Revenue Taxation. He also served on the House Select Committee as well as Joint House-Senate Committee on Reorganization of Government Departments. He introduced in 1936 the Bill for Providing Cash Payment of the Adjusted Service Certified Bonus Benefits to War Veterans, which was enacted over the President's veto. Other work in the House included co-authorship of the Vincent Guffey Coal Act to Stabilize the Soft Coal Industry, the Social Security Act of 1935, the Fair Labor Standard Act, 
National Labor Relations Act, and legislative authority for Secretary of State Cordell Hull's program of reciprocal trade agreements. His fabulous aptitude with figures, ability to take the complex and make it understandable, talent to conciliate differing viewpoints combined to make Fred a key congressional leader. He could be described as being one of the architects of basic social legislation of the 30s. The following tribute was made by Speaker of the House Sam Rayburn on the departure of Fred from the House of Representatives on May 12, 1938. No man out of the 435 members here could leave this house in my humble judgment and the house could suffer a great loss. I have never served the man of finer character, of greater patriotism, or of more outstanding ability. Few things in my life have come into it that have meant as much to me as this fine mind and the fine friendship he has given me. Whatever position he occupies, when or where, he will always be a gentleman of the best school. In December 1937, President Franklin D. Roosevelt appointed Vinson to the position of Associate Justice of the United States Circuit Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. He served on the bench from May 1938 to May 1943, and in addition served from March 1942 to May 1943 as Chief Judge of the Emergency Court of Appeals, which had been established under the Price Control Act to hear cases involving the authority of the Office of Price Administration. On May 27, 1943, Judge Vinson resigned from the judiciary to accept an appointment by President Roosevelt as Director of Economic Stabilization. His specific assignment by President Roosevelt was to hold the line against inflation pressures. Due in most part to his efforts, the cost of living rose less than 1.5% from May 1943 to March 1945. When Judge Vinson was nominated as Federal Loan Administrator by President Roosevelt on March 5, 1945, both political parties in Congress voiced wholehearted approval and his appointment was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate. In this office, he was in charge of the Reconstruction Finance Corporation and its subsidiaries. These agencies had been removed by Congress from the jurisdiction of the Department of Commerce. Less than a month in one of the last major appointments made by President Roosevelt, Fred was named War Mobilization and Reconversion Director. Unanimous confirmation was again voted by the Senate. It was from the post of War Mobilization and Reconstruction Director that he was called by President Harry S. Truman to the Secretaryship of the Treasury on July 16, 1945, to succeed Henry Morgenthau, Jr., who had resigned. On the following day, the Senate unanimously confirmed this nomination. As Secretary of the Treasury, Judge Vinson supervised the financial operations of the government during the closing months of the war. In order to raise the vast sums needed to meet the government contractual obligations and the cost of reconversion from a wartime to a peacetime economy, he floated, during November and December of 1945, the Victory Loan, the last of the great war bond drives in which the American public purchased $21,144,000,000 worth of government securities, exceeding the announced goal of $11 billion by more than 100%. To relieve the heavy burden on the nation's taxpayers which the war had imposed, Judge Vinson recommended and Congress ordered in the Revenue Act of 1945 the repeal of the excess profit tax on corporations and the reductions of surtax rates and increase of normal tax exemptions for individuals, thus removing millions of taxpayers with dependents from the tax rolls. 
During his tenure as Secretary of the Treasury, Judge Vinson also played a leading role in two developments of supreme importance in the field of international finance designed to facilitate the recovery and rehabilitation of world economy, namely the Bretton Woods Agreements and the $3,750,000 credit to Great Britain. While serving as Director of Economic Stabilization, he had been Vice Chairman of the United States Delegation to the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference at Bretton Woods, New Hampshire in July 1944. And in that capacity, it helped to draft the agreements formulated there to establish the International Monetary Fund and the International Bank for Reconversion and Development, two institutions with combined resources of approximately $18 billion to assist in stabilizing currencies and in financing post-war reconstruction activities in all of the underwriting nations. In due course, Congress approved these proposals. President Truman appointed Judge Vinson as Secretary of the Treasury to serve as the United States member of the Boards of Governors of both the Fund and the Bank. In August 1945, he became Chairman of the National Advisory Council on International Monetary and Financial Problems and charged with the duty of coordinating the nation's foreign financial policy and advising the American representatives on the International Monetary Fund and the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. The Bretton Woods Agreements were formally signed in Washington on December 27, 1945, and at the inaugural meeting of the two institutions held in Savannah, Georgia in March 1946, with the representatives of 39 other signatory nations attending, he was elected the first chairman of the two boards of governors, in which post he took a dominant part until he left the Treasury Department in the development of plans for the opening of the fund and the bank with headquarters in Washington, D.C. On June 6, 1946, President Truman nominated Vinson as Chief Justice of the United States to succeed Chief Justice Harlan F. Stone. Two weeks later, the U.S. unanimously confirmed him. Besides broad experience in all three branches of government, legislative and judicial, and a gift of clear thinking, Chief Justice Vinson brought to the Supreme Court a reputation for exceptional skill in harmonizing conflicting views and clashing personalities, and his appointment was widely hailed as a fortunate omen for the tribunal, for which had come evidence of the existence of internal discord and dissension between the so-called liberal and conservative elements in the court, which were seen as impairing its dignity and authority. One of his outstanding achievements on the nation's highest tribunal was his success in restoring a semblance of harmony between these discordant actions. Chief Justice Vinson died on September 8, 1953, and was brought back to his beloved Louisa and buried in Pine Hill Cemetery. Chief Justice Vinson married Roberta Dixon, daughter of Robert Dixon, on January 24, 1923, and they had two sons, Fred Jr. and James Robert Vinson, who were born in Louisa. Mrs. Vinson and the two sons were also buried in Pine Hill Cemetery. On the death of Chief Justice Vinson, President Dwight D. Eisenhower wrote the following tribute. I share the nation's shock and grief over Chief Justice Vinson's untimely death. He was my close personal friend for many years and jurist whom I admired deeply. A man of exemplary character, he possessed great human understanding, appreciation of our national heritage, and a keen mind. He has filled positions of great responsibility in all three branches of government, legislative, administrative, and judicial. In all of them, he served with efficiency and integrity. 
He was an outstanding citizen whose death is a loss to America. Kentuckians can point with pride to this great Kentuckian who served his country well. And this article was written by Homer Q. Potter. There's a second article in the Lawrence County History book titled Vinson Family of Lawrence County. It is article F951 on page 704. Of all the notables of Lawrence County, Kentucky, perhaps the most famous was Frederick Moore Vinson, who became Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. He descended from pioneer settlers of the Big Sandy Valley. James Vinson was said by Eli in his book Big Sandy Valley to have come over the mountains from South Carolina as a young man, joining his future father-in-law Benjamin Sperry from Connecticut by way of the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia about 1800. James laid claim to lands along Tug Fork, with most on the Virginia side, but some on the Kentucky side. He married Rhoda Sperry. He served in the militia in the War of 1812, returned, and settled into farming and trade. James died in 1826, leaving a still young wife and family. Lazarus Vinson, son of James, carried on the legacy of farming, trading, and hard work. He moved on to the Lawrence County, Kentucky side of the Tug. Lazarus was born in 1824 and married his first wife, Jane Graham Ratcliffe, in 1848. They had several children of whom I have record. The eldest, Daniel Boone Vinson, was my great-grandfather. His younger brother, James, was the father of Frederick Moore Vinson. Jane Graham Ratcliffe Vinson died in 1865. Lazarus married second, Vicey Ann Wiley, granddaughter of Jenny Wiley of Indian hostage fame. They had nine children. Lazarus met an untimely end in 1895 while riding back from Catlettsburg to Louisa with money from a cattle sale. He was hijacked and killed. My great-grandfather, Daniel Boone Vinson, had a bad heart, probably from an infection as a child. When his physician, Dr. York of Louisa, heard of the death of Lazarus, he paid a boy a dollar to go out to the Vinson farm and tell Daniel carefully to protect his heart. The youngster found Daniel working his land across the tug. The youngster yelled, Hey Daniel, your pappy's been killed, and ran off. Daniel's heart did hold on another five years. Ludy Vinson, my grandmother, was born in 1886. She passed away at age 103 years in July 1989, having lived through a rather eventful century. She obtained a teaching certificate and met my grandfather, Charles L. Graham, at a Lawrence County Teachers Convention. They were married in Lawrence County in 1906 and ultimately settled in Lewis County. They were married in Lawrence County in 1906 and ultimately settled in Lewis County, Kentucky, where they lived until the death of my grandfather in 1958. Grandmother moved to Carrollton, Kentucky, where she lived 31 years of her life near my aunt, Gladys Graham Cartmel. She is the last generation of Fred Vinson, her first cousin. This article was written by C.J. Graham, M.D. Fred's obituary shows up in the Big Sandy News in the September 10, 1953 issue. It is probably the biggest obituary I've ever seen. Um, and I've looked up a lot of obituaries for people over the past few years. His obituary reads, Vincent. Fred Moore, 1890-1953. to 
Louisa residents, along with the remainder of the nation, are mourning the death of their favorite son this week as plans are being made to return the body of Chief Justice Fred M. Vinson here for funeral services Friday afternoon. Flags were lowered to half-mast here Tuesday as soon as war got out of Chief Justice Vinson's death and a wreath of mourning was placed on the monolith marking his birthplace near the jail. Louise's affable favorite son was stricken with a heart attack early Tuesday morning and death came a few minutes later. Word was received here about 5.30 by relatives and shortly afterwards small groups were standing on street corners mourning. After a brief funeral service in Washington, the body will be brought here for services Friday afternoon at the Louisa Methodist Church with Reverend Charles Perry officiating. Burial will be in the family plot in peaceful Pine Hill Cemetery, which overlooks the whole of the valley where Chief Justice Vinson spent his days as a schoolboy and a youth, overlooking the homes of those he loved most. Arrangements for the final services are under the care of Kurt Wright Funeral Home. From the obscurity of a little Kentucky mountain village where he was born, as he liked to tell it, in jail, the family lived on the front part of the jail because his father was the jailer. Frederick Moore Vinson rose to Chief Justice of the United States. His elevation to that position at the age of 56 capped a distinguished public career that included service in all three branches of the government. He had served in Congress as Justice of the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia and in several high executive posts, including that of Secretary of the Treasury. It was while in Congress that his name began to gain national recognition. As Chairman of the Taxation Subcommittee of the House Ways and Means Committee, he found himself in the center of tax controversies. He championed the 1936 Revenue Act with its undistributed profits tax provision. As early as 1937, he was talking pay-as-you-go taxation that finally was adopted in 1943. President Harry S. Truman selected this member of his cabinet for the high judicial office after pondering long and faithfully on the choice, and on June 24, 1946, the one-time prosecuting attorney became the lucky 13th Chief Justice, taking the oath on the South Lawn of the White House. At that time, there was a wrangle within the court that had just been brought into open by a critical statement issued by Justice Robert H. Jackson about Justice Hugo L. Black. President Truman, who arranged the unusual ceremony in the midst of the judicial tension, hopefully applied the designation lucky. He noted that his appointee became the 13th Justice and declared that he was lucky for the United States and lucky for Mr. Vinson. At least I hope it is. After naming the three branches of the government, the president said, The Supreme Court is at the top of the judicial branch. All of us have the utmost respect for the courts of the country, and we know that the respect will be enhanced when Mr. Vinson becomes Chief Justice actively on the bench. The Bible used in the ceremony had been given to the Vinsons on their wedding day in 1923 by an old friend who wrote on the flyleaf, To Mr. and Mrs. Fred M. Vinson, a chart and compass for the voyage. Chief Justice D. Lawrence Groner of the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, who administered the oath of office to the Chief Justice of the United States, added these words to the original inscription. As a result of which he had kept his rudder true, friendly and patient, with an easy manner, the Chief Justice came to the High Court with a record of having calmed troubled waters elsewhere. Things do better when you don't get hot and bothered, was one of his sayings, and he closely adhered to it. In his first speech after his selection for the Supreme Court was announced, Mr. Vinson said that what Americans wanted and the people everywhere wanted were freedom, security, and peace. This is what we mean when we say we want freedom.
It was eight years after his resignation from Congress, where he served several terms in the House of Representatives, until his appointment to the Chief Justiceship, and in that period he held six other high offices. He quit Congress in 1938 to become an Associate Justice of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. The Supreme Court treated his opinions well. He prepared 24 that were appealed, and of those reviews were granted by the High Court in only four, three of which were reversed and the other upheld. Reviews were refused in the other 20, leaving Justice Vinson the victor in his word final on the issues involved in these and in their other cases that was upheld. He also served as Chief Judge of the U.S. Emergency Court of Appeals, a tribunal set up in Washington under the Emergency Price Control Act to rule on appeals taken in the Office of Price Administration cases. He was on that court from March 2, 1942 to May 28, 1943. On the latter date, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt lifted him from the bench and named him Director of Economic Stabilization. This was a post of tremendous magnitude, involving holding a line against rising prices so as to prevent inflation. This job, vitally affecting as it did the economic life of every American, called for a man who could say no and the tall and rugged Benson could. He built a reputation for resisting pressures. A congressional admirer once said of him, Fred never walks around a fight. He always goes to the middle of it. As economic stabilizer, he sometimes had to knock together the heads of labor and business, but he managed to hold the respect of both. Early in 1945, he was nominated by President Roosevelt as Federal Loan Administrator. Congress had refused, in approving Henry A. Wallace as Secretary of Commerce, to give Mr. Wallace the dual Commerce Reconstruction Finance Corporation job that Jesse Jones had held. Without a word of debate and by voice vote, the Senate confirmed Mr. Vinson's appointment to head the $40 billion RFC and its allied agencies. Hardly had he gotten started with a study of his new powers when James F. Burns resigned as director of the Office of War Mobilization and Reconversion, and Mr. Vinson was called to succeed him there. It fell to his lot in that office, upon the surrender of Germany, to lift the wartime midnight entertainment curfew and the ban on horse and dog racing. His congressional and judicial record and his direction of the Office of Economic Stabilization and the cast operations of the Reconstruction Finance Corporation brought him strikingly to the attention of President Truman. One of Truman's early acts after he succeeded President Roosevelt was to offer Mr. Vinson the Treasury Secretaryship in succession of Henry Morgenthau, Jr. Few men in Congress enjoyed the popularity and confidence that Democrats and Republicans alike reposed in Mr. Vinson. Leaders of both political parties heaped praise on him when he retired from the legislative branch of the government. For all his loyalty to the New Deal and his devotion to President Roosevelt, Mr. Vinson displayed a streak of stubborn independence that stamped him as a man with a mind of his own. He opposed Mr. Roosevelt's economy bill and supported the soldier bonus bill which the President vetoed. He fought subsidies and opposed sales taxes. He fought farm groups by insisting on ceiling prices on cattle and hogs, battled with the oil industry by refusing to raise ceiling prices, and stood firm against a drive by labor unions to break the little steel formula and obtain wage increase during World War II. Mr. Vinson was born January 22, 1890 at Louisa, where his father James Vinson was a jailer. After his father's death, his mother took in boarders and sent young Vinson to a normal school in eastern Kentucky from which he graduated in 1908. Mr. Vinson later went to Center College in Danville, Kentucky. He received his Bachelor of Arts degree there in 1909 and two years later was graduated in law. 
After receiving his law degree, Mr. Vincent started a practice in his hometown and in 1913 became city attorney of Louisa, a job he held for two years. He became Commonwealth's attorney for the 32nd Judicial District and in 1923, with a reluctant consent of his wife, who did not want him in politics, Mr. Vincent ran for and was elected to the House of Representatives at a special election. He remained in the House until his resignation in 1938, except for one two-year period when many Democrats were left stranded as a result of the Hoover landslide of 1928. Mrs. Vincent was the former Miss Roberta Dixon of Louisa. I was serious as a judge when I was a young fellow, once commented Mr. Vinson, who was generally called judge after his service on the federal appeals bench. But when I got to be a judge, I wasn't so serious, thanks to Roberta Dixon. The Vinsons had two sons, Fred Jr. and James Robert. In his youth, he played shortstop, and the story was told that a man once came up to him and inquired if he was the same Fred Vinson who played on a Kentucky team against a West Virginia team some 40 years before. I am, he replied, and we almost lost thanks to you. I'll bet you can't remember what position I played, the man said. Oh yes, I remember very well, Vincent replied. You were the umpire. Vincent played on his college team and later with the Lexington Club in the semi-pro Bluegrass League. This was in the Big Sandy News, September 10th, 1953. Up next is a clip of an interview from May 17th, 2007 by the Robert H. Jackson Center. Um, they interviewed James C.N. Paul, who was the law clerk to Chief Justice Fred M. Vinson, during the 1951 and 52 terms. In the clip, he talks about Fred's interest in baseball. And I'd like to thank the Robert H. Jackson Center for letting us use this clip. Uh, the center is located in Jamestown, New York, and is dedicated to Robert H. Jackson. Um, Robert H. Jackson was a Supreme Court Justice the same time Fred and Vincent was, and he was actually the chief U.S. prosecutor during the Nuremberg trials after World War II. But it's really well known that he had more than just a casual interest in baseball. Um, occasionally we heard about um, uh, his college exploits um, and um, how he fielded uh, on second base. Uh, and occasionally we had comments on uh, what, what was going on in the major leagues and um, who, uh, other than Washington, uh, might have good prospects for uh, the title. Washington, of course, never had good prospects in those days. Um, it, it was a part of his life, I think. Uh, he, he was actually... Uh, according to his biographers, a, a very good athlete in his college days. Uh, he, that, all that had turned around and he was really in very bad physical shape, didn't get enough exercise mm -hmm. in the court. That was plain and uh, probably uh, put down a little too much uh, alcohol in relation to his lack of exercise. Smoked steadily, uh, had a little spittoon like Sherman Minton uh, right. right there and spit out the remains of a cigarette and get a new one out. So the house that Fred grew up in here in Louisa is in the National Registry of Historic Places as part of the National Park Service. Um, 
At the time it was submitted, the common name for it was the Old Jailer's Residence or the American Legion Hall. Uh, the Legion has since relocated to a building next to it. It's located at the corner of Madison and Vincent Boulevard here in Louisa. Uh, it's currently used as a Fred and Vincent Museum slash kind of like the uh, welcoming center, tourism center for here in Louisa. But it was submitted back in 1974 and it looks like it was submitted by Dr. John Ryan. Uh, he was a well-known person here in Lawrence County and I spoke about him in a previous podcast. Um, his parents, I believe, were the ones that operated the toll booth on the bridge back when we still had a toll booth. And I think he grew up in the house that was located on the bridge. In the entry into the historical registry, uh, they have a description of the house itself. It says it's in good condition, slightly altered, on the original site. It says the old jailer's house is located on Courthouse Square in Louisa, the county seat of Lawrence County. The eight-room, two-story brick building was completed in 1889 and the Vinson family was the first to occupy it. From an older photograph, it appears that the structure originally had a porch along the eastern front, photograph number two, and a furnace room attached to the west side, photograph number one. The furnace room and the porch, which gave a slightly domestic appearance to the otherwise austere design, have since been removed. Photographs number three and four. The massing is composed of several narrow asymmetrical blocks that break up the overall bulk of this substantial dwelling. Photographs number three, four, and five. The original perforated cornice was removed when the building was painted white. The austere verticality of the building is countered by the corbelled horizontal belt courses and strongly projecting cornice, an almost flat roof. Photograph number three. Neither the segmental headed windows nor the corbelled brick courses which accent them have been altered. These few details suggest a residual Italiante treatment. The original jail was located at the rear of the jailer's house. Judging from an older photograph, it was a small stone building. Photograph number one. Other jails and buildings in the state reflect many of the same architectural forms as the jailer's residence. The same decorative work and massing is seen in the work at the McDonald Brothers of Louisville at this period, such as the Anderson County Jail in Lawrenceburg. Up next is a recording where you actually get to hear Fred and Vincent talk. Um, it is from January 20th, 1953, when he was the Chief Justice that swore in President Eisenhower. Um, the clip comes from Ike Library on YouTube, which is attached to the uh, Eisenhower Presidential Library. Then Mr. Eisenhower is sworn in by the Chief Justice of the United States. Dwight D. Eisenhower do solemnly swear. I, Dwight D. Eisenhower, do solemnly swear that you will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States, that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States, and will, to the best of your ability, and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Preserve, 
protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. A hand clasp symbolizes the constitutional transfer of the presidency. Well, that's all I've got for you. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode about Fred M. Vinson. Uh, we're supposed to have some rough weather coming up here soon, so everybody stay warm. If you have to get out in the snow, be careful. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot me an email. It is Caleb, C-A-L-E-B, at lcplky.org, or just call me here at the library, 606-638-4497. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.